Thanks, Tim. Um, I'm going to start by praying for us. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We come together tonight um, to remember and celebrate the death and the resurrection of your, of your son, Jesus. Please be with us now as we hear from your word. Amen. Who remembers their first job? Anyone remember their first job? Yeah. Let me tell you about mine. My first job, I worked as a night filler at Woolworths in Manheim. So night filler basically is you pack shelves during the night when they um, unload the pallet and you make sure all the stock goes into the shelf. What it means the job, for the, in just two weeks, I was able to learn where every single item is in the supermarket. You can show me the most random item, I can tell you exactly you can find it in which aisle and whereabouts in the shelf, like which location on the shelf. It is rather a sad thing to learn, but it helps me with my grocery shopping for the rest of my life. Now that I know where everything is, how to lay in the supermarket, I know where everything is. It's rather sad. But one of the things, if you're working in a supermarket, you know that the radio, it plays in the background all the time. Like we just had the Christmas carols, now it's all done. We've got other songs now. But if you work at Woolworths, one of the songs that come up again and again is their motto, which is the... Fresh Food People, they play that song all the time. And during our training, they taught us that being a fresh food people is not just a job. It's a, it's a passion. It's our passion to be the fresh food people. I know, okay, it's funny, isn't it? And so our, amongst our team, every time that songs come out, we would just say, it's just a job. It's not a passion. That's the attitude we have. Imena, the Nightfield team, uh, us, thinking back about it, I don't think it's a good attitude at all. It's a, it's a pretty bad attitude to have. But today we'll see how Paul has the attitude that Wolf's management wish that Nightfield team at Manai had. As we will see in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, in our second installment of 1 Thessalonians, last week Jeff told us, um, spoke to us how the Thessalonian church had a great reputation because they turned from idols and they turned to Jesus. It was a successful visit for Paul and Silas. But behind the success, there was pain. Let's have a look with me of verses 1 and 2 on the screen of chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians. It says this. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. Now, Acts chapter 16 tells us while in Philippi, Paul and Silas, they were flogged and they were thrown into prison because they were sharing the message of Jesus with the people in Philippi and they also drove out demons, especially one of the women, they drove out demons from her and they got put into prison. Now, as you can imagine, the environment of a, Ro- of a Roman prison would be nothing but atrocious. But that didn't stop them. They pressed on and even they brought the jailer and his family to Jesus. Such is Paul's passion to share the message of new life. As he then reminds the Thessalonians in verse 2, As you know, but with the help of our God, we dare to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. See, this is Paul's passion. And the source of his passion is with the help of our God. You see, if God wanted something to happen, nobody, nothing could stop him. That is the one thing that a Pharisee named Gamaliel, Paul was also a Pharisee, a Jewish leader before he became a Christian. He only knew too well. 
he was arguing, so Gammy was arguing at the Pharisee how they shouldn't kill all the apostles because this is reason. For if their purpose of activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it, if it is from God, you will not be able to stop this man. You will only find yourselves fight against God. See, it is God's purpose for his message and his kingdom to grow. In Acts chapter 1, in the beginning of Acts, Jesus said these words, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in all Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It is God's purpose to see his kingdom grow to the end of the world, to every corner of the world. And God uses believers like Paul and people like us today it is also a comfort to us when we're trying to share the message of new life with our friends and family and it seems there's no fruit. We try to care for them, connect with them. It just seems not going anywhere. But you know what? It is God's purpose that someone, that people will turn to Him. Have a look around you. We have turned to Jesus. Have a look in the mirror. You have turned to Jesus. And so Paul has now told them the reason of his work that he moves on to the how. And the how is equally important as the why. Has anyone here bought a car before? Anyone bought a car before? Do you, do you enjoy buying a car? Do you have fun buying a car? No? Yeah? Why, why not? What makes buying a car a lot of pleasant experience? What is it, Naomi? Yeah, I think it's the worst part. Absolutely. Handing out the cash or the bank check, it's like, it hurts. What else? What's the second worst thing about buying a car? Pushy salesman. That's right. Pushy salesman. You know what? I wish you could, you know how you can go to the supermarket and buy like a bottle of Coke or you can buy books and or you can buy many things these days on, on, on Amazon. You click and say, yeah, I'll buy that and just pay, pay for the money. I wish you could do that for cars. I wish there's an off bargain for cars that you just pay a price and then that's it, you pay. Because you know what? I hate bargaining. I'm not a good negotiator, right? And every time, I bought my car a while back and when I signed a paper, I knew I could get a better deal out of it. That's how I feel about, I'm not a good, I hate bargaining. I just hate bargaining. I know I could always get a better deal. So speaking of buying a car, does anybody know who this man is? Who is he? Matilda's dad, that's right. He's named Mr. Wormwood of Wormwood Motors from Matilda. Now, Mr. Wormwood is one dodgy used car dealer. Some of the things he do to sell cars, such as he would sell stolen cars for high prices. He would also put sawdust in the engine to make them run smoothly, just long enough for a customer to drive far enough away to return the car. He would repaint cars to make them look really new, or he would also use the drill to rewind the odometer, the bit that we caught how far the car has traveled, and then flog them off as nearly brand new car. Mr. Wen was somebody who is full of deception, trickery, and lies. But Paul tells us that this is the opposite way he would use to communicate the gospel. So how does Paul share the message of Jesus with his churches? He begins by telling us what he didn't do, and then he tells us what he actually did. Have a look at verses 3 to 4 with me. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. 
And they go on to say, on the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, people, but God who tests our hearts. You see, the gospel, the message of new life, it comes from God and is approved by God. The ultimate authority for our message is the Bible, and the whole Bible is the Word of God. It's not about changing the message so that people would like it, but it is about communicating the truth accurately, remaining faithful to God's Word. See, as Christians, we are called to give and to live the message of new life, which is also the mission of our church. Our role is to make sure that we communicate the truth faithfully and accurately to other people. It's the same for us here today, whether we, uh, whether we teach kids here at church or teach our own kids at home, whether we, um, we lead a life group, or whether we share the message with our friends at work, at school, at home, or with our family. It's all about how we can communicate the word truthfully and faithfully. We need to teach the truth even when it means teaching what is unpopular and going against the culture. See, the whole Bible is God's word, not just the bit we like or the culture of the day like. But very sadly, many churches and Christians around the world, even those in our country, in our city, have given up on this idea, and they changed the message just to suit the ears of the hearers. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 has a warning for us. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what they itching years want to hear. We need to remain faithful to the word. It means we have to teach what is unpopular, but our ultimate authority is the Bible, and the whole Bible is God's word. He can tell me which TV show this photo come from, even in character. It is Yes Prime Minister and the prequel Yes Minister. And specifically, who is the man in the middle? Is his name the man in the middle? He is Sir Humphrey Appleby. He is the Secretary of the Department of Administrative Affairs and then become the Secretary of the Department of Prime Minister. So basically, he is like the head of the civil servant. And he advised the, um, the Prime Minister who is the guy with glasses called Jim Hacker. Now, it is a funny show because one of the things that Sir Humphrey does really well is to manipulate his minister so that he, would get, he got his agenda through, but not the government's, not the um, elected government's agenda. And one way he does that is by flattering Jim Hacker to give, this, give him this warm and fuzzy feeling. You see, flattery is one of the most popular ways to manipulate people. But Paul has a lesson for us on how we should give the message of new life. You see, Paul tells us, because he's speaking from the ultimate truth, he doesn't need to use flattery or to cover greed or looking for praise from people. Paul tells us that he has no ulterior motive to share the gospel with people. You see, unlike car salesmen, Paul doesn't get any commission or any financial reward when someone turns to Jesus. But Paul has a genuine heart to see people getting saved and to see God's kingdom grow. He reminds the Thessalonians of the integrity of his message to free from selfish ambition and personal gain. Paul adapts the way he communicates 
according to the audience. In our other reading today um, that Darren read to us, it says this, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in his blessing. The mission of our church is about giving, about living the message of new life. Have you looked with me of the giving the message of new life banner, there are four steps, about connect, care, communicate, and commit. You see, the way we connect, we care, we communicate, and we, the way we commit are different. It depending on who we are talking to, um, depending on their life stories. Such as when we talk about communicate, we ask the people, what's your background with the church? And see what their answer is. About committing to Christ, we'll ask them, what makes committing to Jesus easy or difficult? We change the way we communicate the message, but remember, the content of our message must always remain the same. We mustn't change the gospel message and twist it from the truth. Everyone, at the end of the day, they still need to repent and believe in order to be saved. And Paul always maintained his integrity as an apostle to make sure that he's always above reproach so that he can represent Christ well. A few weeks ago, I was meeting up with um, one of the youth um, partners here. Um, she was finishing the partnership course. And I said to her, um, the importance of maintaining our integrity as part of our church. That's why we require all our partners at church to complete the safe ministry course. Which, by the way, if you haven't finished yours yet, can you guys please hurry up and do it, please? You will get my email. I will hunt you down and make sure you finish it soon. Just say it. Anyway, that's why we call all our partners to do it because we want our church, our partners, to be above reproach. We want us to maintain our integrity so that we'll be holy, righteous, and blameless. Just like Paul was, who was following Jesus. We want us to be more like Christ. We want us to have integrity. We need to be above reproach. Can you imagine this? If we Christians don't get this right, why would non-Christians want to become a Christian? Why would they want to hear about our message? We need to always have an integrity and remain above reproach. Now, who can tell me which movie does this picture come from? Or musical? Les Mis, that's right. In Les Mis. Now, after John Valjean rescued Cosette from her step parents, he sang this to her, but I'm not going to sing now because I can't sing it. I've got to turn my head. He said this to her, I will be a father and a mother to you. I've always wondered, how is that possible? How can one be a mother and a father at the same time? But Paul shows he how in verses 7 and 8. He says this, Instead, we were like young children amongst you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we care for you. Now, a nursing mother is someone who's very gentle, very kind, loving, and caring for her babies. She devotes all her time, all her energy on her baby. A mother would do anything for her baby, too, for her kids, too, even if it means putting her life at risk. Why would she do that? Because of love, out of love. Paul then continues on, because we love you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. I think this is a beautiful verse. You see, Paul loves the people of his church so much that he was delighted to not only share the gospel with them, but also his life. 
And this is the same way how I and our staff team feel towards all of you too. We love God and we also love you. We're only too delighted to share the most important message ever, which is the gospel with you, but also to talk to you, to get to know you, to pray for you, to pray with you, and also to do life together with you. See, there's no place for those who are self-centered and autocratic to be a leader for God's people. So Paul has talked about how he's been a, a mother to, to, to his church, and then he goes to say how he's also a father to his church. Verses 11 and 12. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Paul says this, a good father does three things here, to encourage, to comfort, and to urge their kids. For us is, what can we do to look after other believers, especially new believers around us? How can we look after people around us, the Christians around us, help them to grow in their faith? Paul has one goal for the people he ministers to. Have a look with me on the screen, uh, the Behalad in blue, which is to live lives worthy of God. Are you living a life that is worthy of God? Or is there something in your life that you wish God or other people wouldn't see or know? What do you need to change to live lives worthy of God? Let the living Word of God transform your life. The Bible is the Word of God that we received. And now let the Holy Spirit transform us. Verse 13, Paul says, The Word of God, which is indeed at work in you, who believe. Being a Christian, living a life that is worthy of God, is not always easy. There's lots of obstacles and temptation placed by the devil to stop us doing that. The Thessalonians had a hard time. They were persecuted by the Jewish neighbors and by the people around them. And today, Christians across the world are persecuted for their faith. Many have lost their lives for following and defending Jesus. And maybe that's the experience too. Whether you're at home, maybe at work, maybe at school, maybe people laugh at you, tease you for following Jesus. Paul gives us some comfort here. He says this in verse 16, the wrath of God has come upon them. They will be judged. They will be judged on the final day. Paul is urging them to endure in their faith. On this side of the church, we got um, the banner that says, living the message with new life. Uh, have a look at the last one, number eight, about enduring. We want people to endure in their faith. The Christian race is a lifelong journey. It doesn't end until the moment we die. And for some of us, it could be a long time away. We want us to be able to run the race, to, main, to run the distance, to endure in their faith. See, for the, for the church in Thessalonians, Paul says that they are his hope, they are his joy. It's like parents taking great pride of the, of the accomplishment of their kids. When we see people growing their faith, it is a great privilege in ministry. It is our joy. In this new year, uh, the year 2020, our church is focusing on growing and maturing apprentices in, for Jesus. Will you join us to grow and to mature 
in our apprenticeship in Jesus. See, we don't do it for a crown that will not last, but we do it for a crown that will last forever. The journey may be difficult, but the destination, the reward, will be well worth it. As we run the race, as we run the race, let the word of God transform you. As we give the message of new life, remember, don't be a Mr. Wormwood. Don't you don't have to lie to deceive people. But also don't be a Sir Humphrey. You don't have to use flattery, flatter people. We are speaking from the ultimate truth. We need to adapt the way we share the message. But remember the content of a message, it mustn't change. We need to go that with a passion, like the passion that was, which their staff has, um, to be the fresh fruit people. We need always to remain faithful to God's word and let God's word change us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that in your grace and mercy, you have saved us from our sin through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you will help us to live a life that is worthy of you. Help us to faithfully give the message new life and please help us to grow and mature in our apprenticeship in you this year. Amen. Anybody got any question? Sky. Um, it's not really important, but um, in one of the passengers, one Thessalonians, yep, um, two, I think. Um, Paul says Satan blocked us from coming, or something like that. Um, Sorry, what was that? I missed that bit. Sorry. Paul says uh, Satan blocked us yep. from visiting you. Um, couldn't that just be a convenient way of getting out of things, and you could use that as an excuse? Like, what is what is that supposed to mean? Okay, in this context, for when Paul wrote this book, he was been trying to visit them again. Uh, he couldn't um, because there was lots of things happened to him. You can read definitely in the book of Acts, but basically he got arrested a few times. Um, and as he was writing this book, he was trying to reach them, but he couldn't. He was about to go to a trial in Rome, so he wanted to see them, genuinely wanted to see them, um, but there's this roadblock after roadblock. Um, he was being persecuted, basically, um, and that's what made him physically couldn't, couldn't do it. So this is in this context why he couldn't. But I think in our life, um, it is easy to make an excuse out of that, um, and, and sometimes Satan does make roadblock to stop us from doing something. Um, so the attack by Satan is very real. He's always ready to pounce on us um, to attack God's people. But I think you need to ask yourself this. Do you genu- genuinely want to do the difficult thing? Um, and if you do, um, then you need to try to um, use all your effort to make it happen. And then at the end of the day, it might not happen for many reasons. Maybe, um, maybe health, maybe accidents on the way. And if you try your best and it doesn't happen, then maybe God is telling you to wait, not to do it. Or maybe it's Satan is attacking you. But I think you need to, um, as far as you can, under the help of God, to um, take all your effort to, to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah, does it make sense? Anyone else? We are, I think we're running quite early tonight, so if you guys ask questions. Michelle. Follow-up question. 
why does he say that Satan is blocking him? Why doesn't he attribute that to God's guidance? Why doesn't he? Why, like, why, why does Paul say Satan blocked us from coming? Why, why wouldn't he say that God was guiding us in a different direction? Yep. I think the context is he was talking about um, the people who were persecuting him, and that was one of his biggest obstacles from stopping him to minister freely to where he was going to go. And so he, he was saying that um, the people who are persecuting the Christians, they are acting for Satan. I think it is in this context. Um, so maybe God, well, God places them there. Says God is always in control. Um, but yeah, so saying that people that are, are persecuting other people, they are acting for Satan. Yeah. Safe, is there a question? Yeah, all right, go on. <laughs> Keeping the family, eh? <laughs> Tim and Mary? <laughs> yeah? How could a snake talk? Because Satan is a snake and he can talk. Satan was a snake. You talk about in Genesis how Satan was in a snake and Tam, Adam, and Eve? Yeah? yeah. And so how he could do that? Well, I think that's, that's a very good point. Um, so I think for us to do, right, the snake is pretty harmless in some way, like, like, maybe not in Australia, but if you see a snake in other countries. Let me tell you an example. I was, new, I was in, um, in Numea a few years ago. I visited the island called Amity Island, beautiful place, an island in the middle of the ocean. On the island, there are lots and lots of sea snakes. Uh, the yellow and black stripes, they, they were just literally everywhere on the island. We were told, because they knew we were Australian, they told, don't worry about sea snake. They won't attack you unless you really want to attack them. Otherwise, they will attack people. So snake in that case is pretty harmless. Um, but in other instances, things that can appear to be harmless can be um, dangerous. So safety, my, my, my point is that Satan can often hide in things that we think is okay. And we will let our guard down, right? Because if you say, if you see a puppy, we could say a puppy is very harmless. Um, so sometimes, so what is the story teaching us to? Just be, always be on alert. So Satan can hide, can appear like a snake, but we need to be careful what they are telling us to do. We need to always know how to live God's way so that we won't fall into the temptation. 